Welcome to the Pioneer Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Ivan Bennett. Today we have the treat and honor of having the Tony-nominated composer Frank Wildhorn on the show. Mr. Wildhorn is the composer of The Count of Monte Cristo, which will cap off our upcoming 2015-2016 season at Pioneer. In 1999, Mr. Wildhorn was the first American composer in 22 years to have three shows running simultaneously on Broadway. His Broadway credits include Jekyll and Hyde, The Scarlet Pimpernel, The Civil War, and more recently, Dracula the Musical, Wonderland, and Bonnie and Clyde. His Count of Monte Cristo premiered in 2009 and has been running internationally in Germany, South Korea, and Japan. The English-language U.S. student premiere went up at Brigham Young University earlier this year, but the professional U.S. premiere will be right here at Pioneer Theatre Company. So much of my career is international. Yeah. And we have, you know, over 20 shows around the world now. Holy you know, that are not the, that are not my eight Broadway shows, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's this crazy international agenda that I have, and Monte Cristo is just so successful that I felt like it was time to bring it to America now. Yeah, and and it's the first of of a lot of those kinds of titles because you know Broadway is not about melodic, sweeping, romantic scores these days. It's about other things. So I was hesitant, and but like yeah. I said, the show has been playing so great around the world that I figured, okay, now's the time. So, what's your, what's your personal end to the story? Well, I lo- I, fr- I love the book. I read it, you know, when I was a student at USC, and uh, I've, it's a title I've been thinking of uh, for many years. And then uh, you've seen the new movie with James Caviezel, the, right? The last version, I guess it's not that. that what was that? Two thousand two. Yeah. Is that when it came out? Okay. Yeah. So when I saw that, that re-triggered, you know, how, how much I love the, the, the story and how the characters fit my kind of requisites, you know, to do a musical, which means way bigger than life characters in bigger than life situations. And Monte Cristo certainly has that. And so Jack Murphy and I, you know, got to work. And then what Jack did brilliantly, you know, among other things is, taking that gazillion page book and, you know, uh, making it work as a two and a half hour musical yeah. because, you know, it just, uh, the book is, is just too much. Um, uh, but the movie also did a good job on focusing on the plot that we wanted to focus on. And, uh, it was, it's been a lot of fun. Was there anything that was just heartbreaking to cut out along the way? No, because at the end of the day, you fall in love with Edmund and Mercedes and the, you know, the three bad guys are great villains, all very different, uh, and, you know, very specific. And so there's already such a wealth of stuff, especially against the, the, the sweep of the times and the romantic places and stuff to, to get it going. So no, yeah, it was, it was kind of easy actually. You mentioned USC a minute ago. Yeah. And I saw on your Wikipedia page that you studied history and philosophy there. Yeah. So, I, yeah I'm not a music, I'm a, you know, I'm a self-taught musician. So yeah. I, <laughs> but, uh, did those early interests show up in your work now? Would you yeah, say? Yeah, they, they do. I, you know, listen, I, I, I totally respect and understand the whole kind of 
you know, making musicals of pop culture movies and things like that. But my experience, you know, with maybe an exception or two around the world, especially, is that, you know, I wanted to do shows that have legs, either historical legs or literary legs, because you can always youth in and, and hip up uh, casting and how you present those kind of things. But there's a reason why those titles and, and those iconic things have been around forever and will be around mm -hmm. forever. And if you look again, uh, you know, at my track record around the world, I mean, most of the shows of those kind of titles run multiple, multiple years. Uh, you know, Monte Cristo is going into its fifth year in, in, in Seoul next year. And, um, uh, so I, I'm, 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 you know, attracted to that kind of source material that is already rich and proven over time. So where did the work start for you? What part of the story did you first hear as live theater when you began considering this project? Well, that's an interesting question. I guess simultaneously, you know what I do a lot? When I do big titles, I, I have to tell you it this way. When I do the, you know, Monte Cristo or Carmen or Jekyll or Pimpernel or stuff, Dracula, one of the things that I do is, I know this sounds crazy, but this is what I do, is I watch the movies, mm -hmm. versions, and I shut off the sound. Okay. I play the piano to the, to the movie as if it was a silent movie. And I'll do that many times and record what I've written. And the fact of the matter is, is sometimes 70 to 80% of the melodic stuff of the score comes from that exercise. So what I probably did was after Jack and I decided to do Monte Cristo, I watched some of the older versions and the newer version and I shut off the sound and I just played and a lot of music just came from doing that exercise. So, so it's about connecting to the imagery. Yeah, I mean, it's that, and then you just try to give each character its own vocabulary, you know, its own specificity, and, uh, and, you know, again, when the characters are bigger than life, then that's opera to me, you know, we can sing. And, um, and in the case of Monte Cristo, that wasn't too hard because it's, it's, it's already there. It's there on the page and it's there in the cinematic, uh, versions of them. And I, I have a ball doing that. And, uh, a lot of the big themes from Monte Cristo came literally from doing that. And then, of course, as I work with Jack and we do treatments and, and then, you, you know, take those treatments and, and, uh, and enrich them and, and make them thicker. You know, you get to learn more about the nuances of the characters and what's happening here and there. And then the music, you know, then I take on that responsibility of a theater composer, which is serving the book, etc. But the inspiration for me usually is always first, can I find a musical vocabulary to match this particular story or these particular characters? Can it be something that's maybe I, I haven't done before so I can go back to being a student of it? And student of the process, and then just you know having a, having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are so many big emotions and themes in Monte Cristo. I just want to pick up that thread: hate, revenge, love, forgiveness, mercy. Do you ever do you find yourself when you're you're composing, tackling those in any like singular or pure way? Well, it, it, 
it's the arc of the character. It's everything you just mentioned. Let, I mean, just let's take uh, Edmond Dante's The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, you know, not unlike Jekyll and Hyde, The Scarlet Pimpernel, and some of my other things, you know, Dracula to an extent, you know, the, the arc of these characters involve almost a, a dual life for the character. And Monte Cristo is, you know, one of the best iconic versions of that because Edmond Dantes becomes the Count of Monte Cristo, but he's never not Edmond Dantes. And in fact, the humanity uh, and the heart and soul of Edmond Dantes, no matter how bitter, full of revenge Monte Cristo gets, never leaves, uh, never leaves him. And it's, it's Mercedes love that brings that back out and gives him redemption and going through that arc is a very uh it's a musical thing yeah you know a, dr henry jekyll is part of edward hyde you know even when he's hyde yeah. there's a thing of jekyll that is still in him and uh you know as much fun as that was back in the day when i wrote that you know monte cristo has a little of that same kind of thing is is you know how do i take edmond dante's make him the count of monte cristo and musically at the same point you know hold on to some Edmond Dantes and that's always a good challenge and and that's always fun to do yeah I think I heard uh a saying once from I believe designer Ron Crosby that dissonance is the source of all interest (laughs) dissonance is the source of all interest well he's a much smarter man than (laughs) quite sure well that's that's just what you said because i could be just as interested in silence so i don't know you know but uh (laughs) sure (laughs) so uh tell us about any connection you might have to utah and and why you chose to introduce the english version of monte cristo here in salt lake well first of all you know we're, we're we're in a business of relationships i mean all over the world it doesn't matter whether it's utah or berlin right I, you know it's about relationships and uh i seem to have a wonderful relationship with the people of utah <laughs> I, I i don't want to analyze it it's not an intellectual thing it's kind of chemistry like when you're dating yeah or something yeah. like that yeah. and you know, if if you look at the history of especially the Scarlet Pimpernel and the Civil War, you know, they're constantly seem to be playing in different places in Utah. And thank God for that. I mean, you know, I just feel very lucky about that. So that's kind of been there in place for a while and, and continues. You know, <clears throat> the Civil War thing, um, Donny Osmond's, first of all, Donny Osmond, his, uh, one of his last albums was called This Is The Moment. Mm-hmm. And um, Phil, the late, great Phil Ramone produced it. And um, I understand when they did the tour, he did like a video of his entire life to This Is The Moment, which I didn't get a chance to see, but must have been incredible. But it's Donnie's brother. And I know he has a lot of them. And I, I, I he, Jenny? No. One which, of those. <laughs> one of the older brothers. Merrill, Merrill loves to loves the Civil War and loves to play the captain in the Civil War, and I think he himself is responsible for a bunch of Civil War productions in Utah, which you know that's fantastic. I, for whatever reason, the Scarlet Pimpernel has just always had this amazing life in Utah. So maybe yeah. it's sense of fun. Uh, it's it's kind of in a way. I don't know. The Scarlet Pimpernel is, is, is a musical comedy, but it's also an adventure and it's swashbuckling. Um, 
but for whatever reason, the, the elements of that have really attracted Utah audiences over the years, and it's had a wonderful life. But as I said, it, it gets back down to relationships. And, you know, I have this wonderful relationship with Karen Eisenberg, who I love very dearly, and whose father is a, both an inspiration and a mentor to me. Uh, he's a legend in the, in the theater business, as you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just by chance, a, a couple of years ago, I, I met this guy who uh, is involved with BYU named Jeff Martin, Jeffrey Martin. And, and he, he asked me to do a concert there a couple of years ago. Uh, I do these concerts, Frank and Friends, which I hopefully I will do one around the time we do Monte Cristo at, at your theater. And, um, the concert went great. And, I did the concert. I also did um, some master classes. So I got an education on the kind of amazing facilities and infrastructure and what BYU has and what they are able to to do and how they're able to give the kids these amazing experiences. And and I guess I was part of that for this particular trip. And, you know, uh, just conversations ensued. And one of the conversations was, you know, Frank, do you have anything maybe you would like to, to experiment or start here, do a, do a concert version of, do a, you know, a, a, some kind of version of? And I thought, yeah, you know what? I was thinking about Monte Cristo and its time was right to, to bring it to uh, Utah. So that happened. And at the same time that was happening, Karen and I started talking about it and she, she heard and saw, you know, all the materials that exist and, and she said, yeah, let's do it. And so, you know, that it's, it's all about this whole business is about relationships and, you know, and, and, uh, so I'm just going to try to do the best I can for her and for her, her audience. Is there anything in particular you want to see happen with this production? Well, I wanted to, I, I, I want it to, uh, kind of, kind of live its potential. I, I want to see, you know, if we can get the right people there and, and give it a life. I've seen it in enough uh, cities and countries around the world to know it's a real audience show. Uh, I know from the singers who are the great singers around the world who have been attached to it over the years that it attracts great talent because they want to sing the score. They want to play those parts. They want to tell that story. Uh, it is timeless. Uh, it is sweeping. It is romantic. Those are the things I love. I love all of those things. And I'm an, I'm the audience. You know, if I'm nothing else, I am the audience because I'm kind of, you know, look, I'm an ex-jock who writes tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Write for yourself, right? No, uh, yeah. uh, and so I always feel I'm, I'm pretty connected to the, to the audience and the people who actually pay for tickets and, and things like that. And um, so I do think that if this gets out there and I have all the faith in the world that Karen will do a gorgeous – production with uh with marcia um i feel that it's gonna have a life a real life here now and um you know at the end of the day it becomes about producing um you know you really dissect why why a show worked and why it didn't uh uh, so much of it has to do with producing i mean you know there's a lot of competition out there so the producers have to be smart to get the people to come and, and you, you know, if, if the material is there, then it's about producing and marketing. And, uh, I, I think Karen, I'm sure will do a great job with all of that. And if we attract the right people, you know, we can give it a real life here in America. Well, it, it did phenomenally. I know the last time we did it, we did a play version. It's been a long time, about 20 years ago. One of the best selling titles we've had. So, right. um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. But tell us about the process of taking a show that you created in English 
then having it translated into three foreign languages, now opening here in English. Did did you and Jack Murphy, uh, who wrote the book and lyrics, sit down with translator to help them match the lyrics to the notes? What's the process yeah. like? Well, it's it's first of all, it's been an ongoing process of my life now since the early two thousands. Um, uh, we're very lucky and fortunate to have many, many shows around the world, many, many languages, and they're not licensed shows. Like, you know, we're not talking about shows that have been on Broadway, the Jekylls, the Pimpernels, the Draculas. We're literally talking about commissions that, you know, yeah. happened around the world. And so writing with translators is part of our life and has been now for many years. And, you know, we're very lucky. We seem to get the best translators and the most poetic translators and the best stars from the different territories that we work in. In the case of Monte Cristo, um, we did it first with a great, great producer named Erna Ziegna. And he has an opera house in St. Gallen, Switzerland, of all places. It's an hour outside of Zurich. It's a, it's a very idyllic town. It looks like Belle from Beauty and the Beast would live there. Um, it's, you know, right out of kind of the sound of music, if you think with the Alps all over the place. But in the middle of this town is this wonderful opera house. And when you do a show there, when he says yes, you get a 55-piece orchestra <laughs> and a 30-piece choir, and then you cast the show. So you wow. have 110 people making music every night. And so first of all, just for, you know, from my own selfish point of view, you know, for the composer to have that many people making music every night, you know, obviously you can't possibly do that in America, you know, unless it's a special event anywhere on a consistent basis um, uh, because of economics. So that's fantastic to start with. So when you write a, a Monte Cristo and you think of it as big as I think of it, as cinematic as I do, and you actually have the bodies to pull that off, that's that's a lot of fun. And this guy's a great producer, and he really sees the world. And the the European and Asian version of Dracula, which never stops running, it's running all the time, started in his theater. Excalibur, I did last year in his theater, and that is now being licensed around the world. Uh, I kind of take care of Asia with my contacts because I have, I'm kind of very successful in Asia. And then Verna takes care of Europe, and then together we just go from there. And we have another title that I, I will be announcing soon. That's our next title that, that I'm doing there. Uh, but we did Monte Cristo there. That's where it started. And we had we worked, of course, with the translator there. Uh, we actually auditioned translators in German, and we picked the one that we all thought was the best. And we always get it translated back into English. So Jack sees, you know, what it is that they're doing and that they're close to, you know, right. what he wants to say. Right. And, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. You know, when we go through rehearsal there, the translator and Jack are always working close together. And the fact of the matter is, is I have the easy part. Uh, you know, <laughs> music is yeah. music. And if it's played with the same passion that I write it with and performed with that, I'm in good shape and I make sure that it is. And uh, music like love crosses all borders. <laughs> Yeah. Germans got a lot more syllables, right? I mean, they do. <laughs> they, they do. And, and they also, you know, there, there are sayings we have here that, you know, are, uh, they don't have there. And the so, yeah. you know, you, you have to absolutely, you know, find your way. But again, you know, we've, <laughs> we've done that in many, many languages and, 
and uh, yes, it's a challenge, but that's also, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the fun. We wanted to play a little clip from Hell to Your Doorstep on the podcast. Okay. We're hoping to play just 30 seconds of it and, and maybe have you deconstruct it and tell us about that specific piece. The English recording. Okay. And I believe the English recording is, is done by Thomas Bocat, right? Right. 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 Okay. So Thomas is, he is the big German male star. Uh, we don't even have a star kind of on Broadway like Thomas that we, because Thomas, in Thomas was the Phantom. Thomas was Jekyll. Thomas was Dracula. Thomas was the vampire in Dance of the Vampires. Thomas was, uh, you know, all of these things. So he plays all those big parts consistently. And he's got one of the great, you know, voices this side of Anthony Warlow in the world. And uh, I love him very much. And the fact is, is I wrote Monte Cristo for him. <laughs> I was inspired by him and our relationship. And in Europe, there's been a lot of wonderful press built on my relationship with him over the years and the culmination of that, which was Monte Cristo. Um, and he's, he's, he's the guy. So it was great to write it for him. And I know his voice so well. So writing Hell to Your Doorstep, number one, was a real tour de force for Thomas. It was at a point in the show where Monte Cristo's kind of revenge needs to be revealed in a bigger-than-life uh, way when he's kind of screaming at the heavens and he has just learned some information about what, that his dear Mercedes is married to his ex-best friend and uh, his dad has passed away and his mentor Morel uh, has been made bankrupt and he, he's learned all of this stuff and he literally explodes in rage and uh, and rock and roll meets and rock and, roll. and rock and roll meets an orchestra and he does this <laughs> What's the story you desperately want to compose for that you haven't had a chance to? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali? Yeah. Really? Well, I want to do Muhammad Ali, and uh, I, I'm a, kind of an expert on him, and one of the things about him was he kind of lived his whole life to music. You know, he spoke in lyric, and, yeah. uh, and, and there's the music of the time, and he was obviously the most, you know, there's that joke, who are those two people with Muhammad Ali? Oh, it's the Pope and the Queen. <laughs> you know, that's how famous he was at, at one time in his life. Yeah. You know, the problem is, 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 you know, there was a show called Rocky, uh, <laughs> and so I got to stay away from, you know, boxing, I guess, for a little bit. Right, right. Uh, but I, I'm going to eventually do Muhammad Ali. There is a Chinese, the, the, the Chinese Romeo and Juliet is a story called Butterfly Lovers that has been around for hundreds of years and it's been made into operas and ballets and things like that. And I, I want to do a commercial musical of that. Um, but you know what? I'm a lucky guy. I, you know, I get passionate about a title and I'm, I seem to be able to get producers around the world to, to make that happen for me. So I'll, in the last bunch of years, and kind of, I, I, as I'm speaking to you now, I've literally 
I think I have eight or nine international commissions that we're doing literally mm-hmm. now. And, every, and, and they go from everything from the world of manga, and which is the Japanese right. comic book, and that's Death Note, which I just finished, right. which is gigantic. It's like Star Wars. It's, the, it's gigantic, and it was the first co-production of Japan and Korea. It is a hit in both. Uh, it's just been born. I just was in Korea for the opening of the Korean version. Um, so it's gone from there to the, my next big commission in Vienna is, is uh, Casanova. Um, uh, the, the one I just finished the workshop for in Seoul is Matahari at the Moulin Rouge. I mean, so it, all the things I've wanted to write, I'm, I'm literally writing right now. Well, about that and riffing off of what you said about Death Note, you have so many sounds. I mean, and Bonnie and Clyde got tinny piano and, and country and the civil war there's gospel and, and spirituals and and then of course a big sweeping romantic epic music in monte cristo so when you take on a story like that say death note with manga i mean do you sit down and, and watch hours of anime <laughs> what do you well I, I first of all the answer is yes you know yeah. and i have two sons who are well may way hipper than i am and one of them happens to be really an aficionado on all of that stuff and Japanese culture. And when I said to him, I said to Justin, uh, dad got this package from Japan and it's called death note. They, they want me to make a musical of it. What is it? And, and I said, Justin said, dad, you drop everything right now. It's the coolest thing that anyone's ever going to give you to do. And you should do, you should, uh, you, you you need to do that. So I I, I did that. Uh, and and the thing look here's the thing. I, again, I, I, you know I, I'm a self taught musician. I played in bands. I stumbled into theater. Had no idea I was going to get into theater. I'm still very much. I, I probably have had the most original shows in the last bunch of years on Broadway. And yet I'm still kind of seem like a fish out of water here. In many ways, I still make records half the year. Uh, I've you know I've never left the pop business. I just approach it in a different way. Uh, I've been lucky to be able to take the stars of many of my shows and give them recording careers. Uh, I'm doing that now in Asia and in Germany, in fact. Um, and, uh, you know, so um, it's all music. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. just, it's just all music. And, you know, if you look at my background as a pop writer, whether it's Whitney Houston or Julie Andrews, whether it's Kenny Rogers or Molly Hatchet or the Moody Blues or it's Sticks or, uh, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish or Dr. John. I've written for everybody and in every style. And people in the music business always kind of understand, respect and appreciate that. People in the theater business could care less about any of it. It means nothing to any of them, you know. I was naive and stupid enough to think, okay, I'll do the Civil War and I'll try to make it a bridge between pop music and, and theater. So we went out and we did probably the biggest theater album, you know, ever made. And, um, we got James Garner to play Lincoln and we got, uh, Danny Glover to play Frederick Douglass. We got Dr. Maya Angelou to be the voice of slavery. And Ellen Burstyn to be the White House slave, and thirty-one acts <laughs> from little from Patti LaBelle and then the Winans to Dr. John and uh, Blues Travel, and every single song on the Civil War was recorded by a kind of a major act, whether it was Trisha Yearwood, you know, Nashville, 
or what rock and roll hootie, whatever, and stuff like that. And I thought that this is the coolest thing I could do in my life, you know, yeah. really take theater. And it wasn't the hit song from the show. It was every song from the show. And we made this Civil War album. And, you know, the music business kind of applauded and said, wow, Frank, that's a really cool thing to do. And the theater business, like, said, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I've been listening to If Praying Were Horses this week. Oh. It, it struck a chord because of the news. You know, in, in Charleston, I knew I was going to do this interview and I was listening to your music and, and that really grabbed me with, you know, everything that's happening with the Confederate flag and blah, blah, blah. I just found yes. myself listening yes. to that. Uh, of course, of course. But let me tell you the inspiration of that particular song, because this is going to blow your mind. The inspiration of that song is the Holocaust really? and Jewish families who one got on a train and one did not. And, you know, my dad escaped from Romania in the 30s, and uh, a lot of his family didn't make it out. And there are stories like that. And so I was thinking of those people wow. along with the obvious characters from the actual show when I wrote that song. Well, Frank Walthorn, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I hope everybody comes out and, and shares this wonderful adventure with us. Frank joined us today by Skype, so we apologize for any static you may have heard in his answers. And thank you for listening to the Pioneer Theater Podcast. If you have any questions about The Count of Monte Cristo or would like tickets, go to www.pioneertheater.org. That's theater spelled R-E. Or you can call our wonderful box office staff at 801-581-6961. If you have any suggestions for this podcast series, you can post on our Facebook page or email us at info at pioneertheater.org. Mm-hmm.